welcome back to Pop Culture Footnotes, the podcast that keeps you in the loop on all things pop culture so you can talk about it with your friends. I'm Courtney. I'm Shannon. And this week we are joined by our special guest, Carla. Hello. Um, Carla is joining us. She's a music expert. And today we... (laughs) Definitely more than us. (laughs) Definitely a Beatles expert. Yes. I'll take that. I'll take that for sure. Which is the topic of our episode today. So before we get into that, though, we wanted to start with Media of the Week. So Carla, you're our guest. Tell us about what you have been reading or watching or listening to this week. Excellent. So I have been reading a book titled An Historical Tour of Walt Disney World by Andrew Kista. So I am a recently uh, obsessed person with Walt Disney World. (laughs) I went a couple years ago and since then I've just been dreaming of going back. So this book takes sort of a historical look at some of the rides and the context that they're in. And because I love memoirs and historical fiction this is like the perfect fit for me so i've been reading that nice how about you shannon um so we're not (laughs) releasing this episode for a couple weeks so i can hide this guilty pleasure (laughs) a little bit longer but i'll admit it now um on netflix there is this cooking show called nailed it (laughs) Um, oh i've heard of it (laughs) it's so bad um but so it's kind of a game show sort of thing where they get people that just bake at home Mm -hmm. and they have to recreate these like professional cakes or desserts Mm -hmm. and they do a very very bad job at it but it's really fun to watch them screw it up that sounds awesome so it's really fun they only have six episodes and i'm really i've been trying to not watch all of them because i want to stretch it out but i'm already sad that there's only six nice yeah i have been getting into i have like a set for every season i like every time spring rolls around there's a set list of movies that i want to watch so there's like Pride and Prejudice and Emma, like pretty much all the Jane Austens actually. And then like A Room with a View, Only You, Midsummer Night's Dream. Those are like my spring movies. So that's kind of what I've been binging lately. Um, I made the mistake of watching, I don't know if you guys have seen the new like mini series Emma with uh, Romola Gray in it. I think I, I have. have. Yeah. Um, I love it. It is such a good adaptation of the book. And the first five minutes are like tearjerker and I forgot and I started watching it at work. Like, while I was, I had oh, it on no. the background, and I was just started, like, bawling at my work. <laughs> I'm, like, pulling tissues out, and my editor looks at me. It's actually Michaela. Yeah. She, she looks at me, and she's just like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm just watching it, but it's fine. Everything's Aww. fine. So. I just, I love the Gwyneth Paltrow one so much. I do, too. I have a hard time seeing anyone else be Emma at this yeah, point. Yeah, and you know what? Like, that's, have you watched it? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. It's been a while, but. Yeah, we I. need to do Jane Austen episodes We do. <laughs> talk about our favorite adaptations yeah I felt the same way when I first watched it and then Mm -hmm. I was actually one over and I still like the Gwyneth Paltrow one has a place in my heart but Mm -hmm. the miniseries one is better for me so I'll try it but yeah okay cool (laughs) um so moving on so this week we are talking about the Beatles so we wanted to talk about our first exposures to the Beatles how we got into them oh my gosh (laughs) I know (laughs) Where to start? Right? I always hate I was this not section. prepared, but I know exactly what to say. Let's <laughs> hear it. Okay. So the first time I heard of the Beatles and the period of time I got into the Beatles, kind of two separate things. But I'm not kidding when I say that the first time I heard who the Beatles were was on an episode of Tiny Toon Adventures. Oh. Yes. Because they did like a spoof VH1 countdown. And they made, like, a black and white video of She Loves You, but it's, like, the characters, not Beatles, 
Um, so I saw bunnies singing it. That was my first <laughs> exposure. But um, after that, it was actually in around eighth or ninth grade when I just on a whim bought the Beatles One album. And after listening to it, I was like, what have I been doing with my life? Um, this is it. So from there, I became like a lifelong obsessed fan. Nice. How about you, Shannon? Um, I think I've probably said this before, but I grew up on country music pretty much exclusively until I was 12. Um, and so my musical knowledge is not great. But um, I can't pinpoint a moment because I think Beatles it just shows up everywhere Mm -hmm. I'm sure I can think of commercials with Beatles songs in Mm -hmm. it and uh, yeah so I think just everywhere I probably saw the episode you're talking (laughs) about because I've watched Tiny (laughs) Teen Adventures so yeah yeah sweet yeah for me um my dad is really into like classic rock like 60s era music so I just kind of grew up listening to the Beatles my dad also plays the guitar and the bass and he's in a band and so they do covers of the Beatles and so I just grew up listening to the Beatles and hearing my dad like basically pick apart the melodies and the parts um so I just it was just always part of my life and so like the biggest memories I have with my dad actually (coughs) often involve either the Beatles or the Carpenters and yeah, I started developing my own musical taste around like eight or nine or 10 and Beatles were always up there. And uh, to the point that like I went on a date in college and the guy was like, so tell me what you're into. And I was like, well, my favorite group is the Beatles. And he goes, now, are you one of those people who just says that your favorite group is the Beatles? And I was like, excuse you. And I pull out my iPod and I show him that I have every single album plus the anthologies. And he goes, well, you're really into the Beatles. Like, yeah, you jerk. Yeah, so... Needless to say, he did not get a second date. Oh. (laughs) Second question. My musical taste, will you? Yeah. Yep. But yeah, cool. So Carla has prepared a lot of information for us to walk us through (laughs) the Beatles. We're going to be playing some music for you as well, so you can get a... I think think that there are a lot of people out there who know the Beatles, whether they actually know it's the Beatles or not. Like, you've probably heard these songs we're going to play for you. Um, Maybe some... Maybe you'll hear some that you haven't heard before that are also by the Beatles, but they were very prolific. So we're going to try to bolt Mm -hmm. through this as quickly as possible. So Carla, take us away. Awesome. So my first disclaimer is that the Beatles story is just so vast and complex that there's no way we're going to cover everything right now. Mm -hmm. So if we miss your favorite details or stories, (laughs) that is just going to happen. Comment Um, and tell us. Yeah. (laughs) And another thing to remember is that a lot of their story has been kind of turned into myth um so sometimes it's hard to tell whether something actually happened or whether this is part of the legend and so if we say something that's not a hundred percent accurate that's kind of just par for the course when it when it comes Mm -hmm. to the beatles um my best sources if you want to get to the truth and learn more would be the beatles anthology both both the book and the dvd series um and anything by mark lewisone he's an excellent writer and tends to get things pretty pretty accurate so Um, From there, I'll just jump into the first era, which is pre-Beatles, so um, from their birth and up through their childhood, and we'll go through that pretty quickly. Um, I think it's important to kind of put the Beatles in context. All of them were born during World War II, so the early 1940s in Liverpool, England, Um, and Liverpool is in the north of England, which is kind of reversed to us. When we think about America, 
the north is more like the sophisticated and the south is seen more as like the hillbilly mm-hmm. redneck in england it's kind of the opposite so the north is more rural the south is more cosmopolitan so they were up in this northern city um, it was a working class culture it was a port city um, they have a distinctive accent there that they get made fun of for mm-hmm. um, and they were growing up in a time in the 40s and 50s where the the culture was very conservative and it was very much keep a stiff upper lip, keep calm and carry on. Um, and so when in the mid to late 50s, when rock and roll started to come in from America, it started to change everything. So now um, the kids are listening to this crazy rock music. They're listening to Elvis and Carl Perkins and Little Richard and Buddy Holly, and they're getting really interested in this. Um, and the Beatles are no exception. All four of them loved rock and roll music. Um, so... About their childhood, we'll just do really quickly. Um, John had kind of a rough go. Um, His father was a merchant marine who was rarely around, and his mother, Julia, was sort of described as a free spirit who wasn't really strong at, like, the the structural, maternal kind of care. Like, she she sort of had her own thing and, and wasn't, like, a domestic mother like you would expect. And because of that, he actually ended up being raised by his aunt, Mimi, who he remained close to all of his life, like telephoned her every week, mm-hmm. his, like in, even when he was famous and after. Um, and she she took care of him, but Julia, his mother, was still around. And it was Julia who introduced him to music, um, who bought him his first guitar, got him records. And his aunt was very against this because she wasn't mm-hmm. so much about the free spirit to do what you want. <laughs> And she actually said to him, um, the guitar is all right, John, but you'll never make a living at it, uh, which is Ah. kind of funny. (laughs) Uh, What I love about that quote is that once the Beatles were famous, John had that quote engraved on a silver plaque and installed in his aunt's house. All in good fun. (laughs) Um, So tragically, when John was 18, his mother was struck and killed by a car. Um, And this had tremendous effect on his life after that. Um, He didn't do well in school. He failed his exams. And he barely, barely got into an art college where he quickly developed a reputation for being raucous and disruptive and was eventually kicked out. Um, So that's where John is. So we'll move over to Paul. So Paul was born into a musical family. His father was a jazz musician, played the trumpet and piano. Um, His mother was a nurse, and she was the primary wage earner, which was unusual at that time. So Paul had an interesting introduction to, like, early feminism and women (laughs) heading the home. Um, So he actually did very well in school, um, and he was able to get into a very good grammar school. Um, And that's where he met George Harrison on the bus home when he was about uh, 12. Um, So... Tragedy struck here as well. When Paul was 14, his mother passed away from an embolism related to breast cancer. Um, And it's this loss of their mothers that I think gave John and Paul something to bond over when they were young. Um, Because that's a pretty traumatic thing to go through and not many people experience it. So um, speaking of John and Paul, they met in 1957 uh, when Paul was 15. John was playing at a church fete which I have never heard the word fate. Have you guys ever heard that? How's it spelled? 
F-E-T-E. Oh, FET. FET? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So I looked it up, and it's just like a church festival, but um, John was playing there with his little high school band called the Quarrymen, named after Mm -hmm. Quarrybank High School. Um, And he looked very mature and stylish. He's got the teddy boy Mm -hmm. haircut, and like he's not even a particularly good musician, but he's just owning the front men. He's just owning the stage, and Paul was really impressed by his charisma. So he was introduced by a mutual friend, and, you know, the rest is history. They bonded pretty quickly. Um, so George, George was the youngest of four kids. It's a He had a working-class family. His dad was a bus driver. Um, his mother worked in a shop. Um, and he did well in school, too, and he was a decent athlete, I hear. Um, <laughs> but nothing made him happy as making music, much to his parents' chagrin. Um, so he would draw guitars in school and he would just daydream about it all the time. And so his parents finally gave in and bought him his first guitar for three pounds, which would be a hundred pounds today, which is crazy to think about. Um, so he met Paul at school, like I mentioned before, and they bonded over their love of rock and roll. Um, Ringo had a poor upbringing. He lived in a pretty shady part of town. Um, his parents were confectioners, which actually sounds amazing, yeah. like, but <laughs> but it was hard work, and, and they were fans of swing dancing, so he actually got introduced to music pretty young, too. Um, unfortunately, he had really poor health. He had a lot of health issues as a kid, so he was hospitalized with appendicitis, which turned into peritonitis, so he was in the hospital for two years. And because of this, he fell behind in education, and he actually didn't learn to read until he was eight years old. Um, And he never quite caught up. And when he was 13, he got tuberculosis and spent more time in hospital. So they actually weren't sure he was going to live for very long. So uh, we're very, very happy that that was not the case (laughs) and that he was able to recover. But in the hospitals where he got interested in drumming because he became a drummer for the hospital band. And from then on, even though his parents tried to introduce him to other instruments, it was just drums. (laughs) Percussion was it. Um, So that is quick synopsis of their youth. So now we'll move into them actually meeting and (laughs) becoming a band. So shortly after John and Paul met, Paul joined the Quarrymen as a guitarist. He really wanted George to be part of it, but John thought that George was younger and he wasn't as mature and he didn't want him there. Um, But after hearing George play guitar, and he was easily the best guitarist of the three, Mm -hmm. John relented and was like, okay, there's no way I can't have your talent in my band, so all right, come on in. Um, So now they had the three of them. Uh, The other members of the Quarrymen eventually floated away, um, and and they were a trio of guitarists who basically (laughs) picked up a drummer for whenever they got a gig. They would just bring someone on to do the gig. John actually convinced his best friend from art college named Stuart Sutcliffe to join the band. Stu was an artist. He was not a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, but John convinced him to sell one of his paintings to buy a bass guitar. <laughs> and whenever you see pictures of Stu playing with the band, um, he usually has his back to the audience. He's got sunglasses on. He's very much like, don't pay attention to me. <laughs> like, I am not a musician. Um, but he played the bass for them, and they picked up a, a drummer named Pete Best. So at this point, they were getting pretty good in Liverpool. They were kind of building a local profile. 
and they decided if they really wanted to succeed, they needed to go play elsewhere, and so they went to Hamburg, Germany. Um, they ended up playing there for several months. They played uh, in clubs around <coughs> the Reeperbahn, which is the red light district of Hamburg, which was really exciting for a group of young boys yeah. from <laughs> Liverpool. Um, but they played at places like the Kaiser Keller, the Top Ten Club, the Indra Club. Um, unfortunately, after a couple of air quote incidences, um, they got deported and fired. (laughs) (laughs) They were a little bit wild. Um, So they returned, but Stu actually stayed behind with his girlfriend, Astrid, who he'd met there. Um, And so that marked his his departure from the band. And I think it's also kind of funny, a little story that comes out of that is Stu Sutcliffe, um, he was the bass player, and they were like, well, we need a bass player. So Stu actually loaned Paul his bass and then, uh, but Paul's left-handed, so he had to, like, restring the, or I think at the beginning he was trying to play everything right-handed and learn bass guitar at the same time, <laughs> and then I think eventually that guitar became the guitar that Paul plays, like, throughout his time with the Beatles. So. That's right, yeah. yeah. It was really hard for him at first to realize that being left-handed was going to be a handicap, but he just turned everything over, um, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, <Continue. laughs> please jump in anytime. So after honing their skills, um, they returned to Liverpool as a m- much more polished act. So now they'd been spending hours in these dirty clubs. And if you can play there, I mean, you can play anywhere. Um, and in fact, they had gotten so good and had they were so different that people thought they were a German act when they came back to Liverpool and they said things like, oh, you speak such good English. They're like, well, yeah. <laughs> so they played at the Cavern Club. That's one place that's really famous for them playing there. They had a long residency there. And it was at the Cavern Club that a local record store owner named Brian Epstein um, heard about them and wandered in to see what it, what the buzz was about and was just blown away by these guys um, they really knew how to work a crowd. They had this huge repertoire of, of covers, and like they really brought the house down. So even though Brian had never had any experience managing a group, he thought, I have got to do this. I have got to like lead these boys to success because they are really something. Good instinct. Yeah, mm-hmm. incredible. Um, so one thing that he did was that he made them clean up. So no more smoking on stage, no more swearing, start wearing suits instead of the sweaty leather gear they were always wearing. Um, And they were pretty resistant at first, but after seeing the results, they were like, yes, this is this is how we get to the next step. The the results being like women fawning over them. (laughs) Right. I don't know that leather. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so um, they started auditioning around and actually had a pretty hard time of it. Um, I'm sure that this DECA records executive who said this kicked himself forever, but <laughs> after an audition, he told Brian that guitar groups were on their way out, so <laughs> he wasn't going to sign the Beatles. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so they actually got signed to Parlophone, which is a subsidiary of EMI, by George Martin, and at the time, Parlophone was kind of known as a novelty act label. So he signed them thinking, these guys are kind of funny, but I think there's something there. Um, And that's how they got their start. So where's Ringo during all this? Um, So Ringo is actually doing his own thing as a drummer. He was playing with a really popular local band called Roy Storm and the Hurricanes. 
And even though most people don't know of Roy Storm now, at the time, they, they were way more successful than the Beatles. Um, and the Beatles kind of envied them because they had their own matching suits and they were kind of mm. older and they were more polished. And so Ringo, it, he actually was more successful than the other Beatles at this time. And they thought to themselves, man, if we could get a guy like that, like mm-hmm. we would really be on to something. <laughs> I think it's funny that a lot of people assume that Ringo's just sort of, he's like lucky and along for the ride, but it's <laughs> completely the opposite. Like he was holding his own and, yeah. and they envied him. So I love that they, so they finally convinced him to leave Rory Storm and to join them and replace Pete Best. Um, and at first George Martin, their producer who had signed them, wasn't super impressed with Ringo and had a session drummer do their first single. So on Love Me Do, it's actually not even Ringo playing, which is a bummer. (laughs) After that, the Beatles refused to play with anyone else. It's Ringo or bust. So we're all together. (laughs) Yay! We made it. All right, so now we're in 1963. Their first album was recorded in February in one day. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was like a 10 to 12 hour studio session. And their idea was let's just go in and play all of the songs that we're used to playing in our live shows. So a little bit, so covers and some original stuff. And they did that and it was called Please Please Me. The single Please Please Me became their first number one. Um, so now they are a verified hit. They're touring the UK. They're getting media coverage. Everyone's starting to see that these boys are going to conquer at least England. (laughs) Now, before we go on, should we play a few songs from that album? Let's do. Okay, cool. So, uh, by the way, on our Spotify account, we have made a playlist called Beatles Mania. We'll share it on our website. Um, But you can find all these songs there. So, um, which one should we do first? From Please Please Me, we have Twist and Shout, I Saw Her Standing There, Love Me Do. Let's go I Saw Her Standing There, because that is the perfect opening song. I'm trying to remember if it was during an interview or something, but I think it was with this song. When they performed it live, they would shake their heads and kind of go, woo and oh, all yeah. the women would just go nuts. Yeah. And they said specifically, like, we have to do that because that's when everyone goes crazy. Yeah, that <laughs> scream in the yeah. middle before the guitar break, just like, yep. it, it, oh, it's electric. So yeah, for sure. All right, which one should we do next? So let's do Love Me Do. Okay. love me do yeah so that reached number 17 i believe so their first single wasn't a number one but pretty much every single after that which is a pretty good record (laughs) yep 
For sure. All right, sweet. Mm-hmm. And then uh, last from this album, we wanted to play you Twist and Shout. So here's that. So Twist and Shout is awesome to me because John's voice sounds so raw and urgent, which really matches the song. Um, And what's interesting about it is that that wasn't fully intentional. That Mm. was the last song they recorded in that 12-hour stretch. (laughs) And so his voice was busted. And he said, I've got maybe one take in me. And that was the result. I think I read somewhere that he, like, just took off his shirt and just belted (laughs) it. Or maybe that's just something that I like to think happened. No, I think I read that somewhere. But <laughs> but it's really cool that, that he just gave everything he had into that take, and it shows. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Great. So shall we move on to yes. Beatlemania? Yeah. Right. So now, <laughs> shake your head. <laughs> so England is fully enthralled with the Beatles, but now they're starting to tour elsewhere, um, and Europe is catching on. But what they really wanted was to break America because America is where rock and roll came from and that's where all the pop culture was coming from at the time. And And at the time, like, there was no British group that was really successful in America. Exactly. So they thought if we could break that, like, we will have made it. Um, So their manager spent $40,000 on a marketing campaign to drum up interest in America before they arrived. And it's a really cool little marketing campaign because it was, uh, the Beatles are coming. So this was like a Paul Revere reference. Um, And they had these uh, signs and stickers and billboards that had just the mop tops. It didn't have their faces. It wasn't a photo. It was just these mop top haircuts, which at the time were pretty rebellious. And so the youth were thinking, hmm, what's this? And before they get to America, I want to give a little bit of context to what the United States was going through at the time. So, like England, America was very conservative throughout the 50s and early 60s, and in November of 1963, uh, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated, which sent the country into mourning. So, things are very somber and bleak, Um, and I think it's no surprise that the youth were really aching for something that was joyful and rebellious, and um, with their quirky attitude and irreverence the Beatles were a perfect fit for this role so America was really primed for something like this to happen Um, so in February 1964 the Beatles arrived in JFK airport kind of symbolic um, and the the teens were mad they were everywhere they were (laughs) screaming they were louder than the planes Um, and it was just, you couldn't have asked for a better reception. So when they arrived and they came out that plane, there's some pretty famous footage of them coming down. Crowds everywhere, and you just get goosebumps looking at it. (laughs) It's incredible. So they performed on the Ed Sullivan Show. They attracted a record-breaking audience of 73 million people, and they really kicked off the British invasion. Uh, They opened the door for the Kinks and the Rolling Stones and the Animals, all those kinds of bands. Like They were the ones who really hit it off. 
Um, And just to emphasize how much they had taken over, in April of 1964, during the first week, the Beatles held all top five spots of the Billboard Hot 100. The songs (laughs) one through five, Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. Um, So they had well and truly taken over the world. So now we get to our next album, which is Meet the Beatles, or With the Beatles, if we're talking UK version. Cool. So for this one, I'm just going to go through an order of the way we put it on the playlist. So up first, we have All My Loving. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you tomorrow. I'll miss you. We'll leave it off there. Otherwise, we'll just listen to the whole thing. (laughs) They played that on Ed Sullivan, and Paul is just so cute, bobbing up and down. (laughs) Can I say that, like, watching clips of them makes me like Ringo a lot more, too, because his hair (laughs) just flops as he does the drums, and he's smiling the entire time. (laughs) He's so fun. And he's so charming. Mm -hmm. Ringo is, like, I don't think he's the best looking of the Beatles, but he is totally adorable. Mm -hmm. Although I saw... um, so I had watched the Ron Howard documentary that came out last year. Yeah. It was pretty recent. Anyway, it has all these clips of fans. And this one woman kept saying, he has this sexy nose. <laughs> like, oh, where? What? Oh, dear. And George has sexy eyelashes. I know. That's what it was. <laughs> like, okay. Eyelashes. I mean, George is my favorite. But, I mean... Eyelashes seem like a weird thing to. (laughs) Do you have a favorite, Carla? I do. I'm a John girl, and the thing is, I know this is a good mix. Um, I read somewhere that Ringo is actually the most popular favorite of the time. So it's interesting how times have changed. Like he got the most fan mail. Um, But yeah, I call for sure. Yeah, you would uh-huh. think so. Um, because I love the movie um, 500 Days of Summer. And yeah. Zoe Deschanel, like one of her things is she loves Ringo because no one else <laughs> loves Ringo and that's yeah. what she loves about him. Yeah, I think everyone is just really charmed by him the yeah. same way you were. Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah, I've always been a John girl and I know that he tends to be the most problematic of the Beatles and I do not contest this, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's almost like it chooses you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm just a John girl. That's yeah. what it is. <laughs> For sure. All right, so we're going to move on to Hold Me Tight now. tight harmonies Mm -hmm. really gelled well together at this point yep for sure all right next up we've got you really got a hold on me Uh 
Sorry, I paused it a little <laughs> That's fine. So that's a cover, I believe, of Smokey Robinson. Um, and it, I think it when you contrast that with Twist and Shout, you can mm-hmm. see the versatility of John's voice. Yeah. Um, one thing, a footnote about that is the Beatles loved black artists and black rock and roll, and they covered a lot of it. And they faced some criticism um, later that because they covered those songs and made them accessible, that might have come at the expense of some of the black artists of the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm certain that was not their intention, um, but it is a sad side effect. Yeah. Um, also regarding that song, I know we'll talk covers later, but because I already talked about Zoe Deschanel, <laughs> um, her band She and Him covers that song. And oh. I don't know why, but I hadn't realized it was a Beatles song. <laughs> and I really like that cover. So yeah, That's so good, though, if they make it their own so much that yeah. you can't even tell. So it sounds like they did a good job. Yeah, she has such a distinct voice that I think everything she sings, it's like, oh, yeah, that's got to be her song. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I my least favorite Beatles covers tend to be the ones that are just done straight ahead because you know it's been done and if it isn't broken don't fix it but if you can do like a unique twist on it i think that's great all right so next up we're gonna do it won't be long fun (laughs) i really like that call and response yep for sure cool um so yeah and i should make a note here that we do have more songs from these albums on our playlist but we are going to restrict ourselves to three (laughs) songs per album for the podcast just for time but if you like what you're hearing like go check out our playlist we've got all of our favorites on there so yeah it's like picking your favorite children honestly it is it really is (laughs) Cool. Well, next there's A Hard Day's Night, and these were recorded so closely together, we might as well just jump into the album. (laughs) Hard Day's Night is probably my favorite album, so um, I'm going to start with Hard Day's Night, because it's Hard Day's Night. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. I know. It's hard not to dance. I love that the song is based on basically a phrase that Ringo said that was wrong. Like he (laughs) basically asked like how how the work was going, and he said it's been a hard day's night, which (laughs) the other Beatles found hilarious, and they wrote a song about it. I also love that musicians argued about that opening chord for decades. No one could quite pin it down. Yeah, I love that because I in later years the Beatles really started getting experimental in their music and you can see that like experimentation and that like interest in musical theory early Mm -hmm. on in their career so yeah yeah I love that where they're willing to experiment and just try things Mm -hmm. no one else has done before Mm -hmm. for sure 
Um, can we talk about the film a little bit too, or do yes. we want to go into news? Absolutely. That it's is so good. next. Okay. <laughs> we can do more songs. Okay, we'll do a couple more songs. Um, so I have five songs on our playlist from this album. So, uh, Carla, what do you think that we should? Well, let's give George some love. He's All right. too happy just to dance with you. Okay. Before this dance is through, I think I love you too. I'm so happy when you dance with me. I don't want to kiss or hold your hand. If it's funny, try and understand. There is really nothing else I'd rather do. I'm happy just to dance with you. Yes, uh, I love that in the film that we're about to talk about. They perform this, and it's mm-hmm. great. Um, yeah, George is starting to assert himself here as a songwriter. Um, I really love this song because if you get to the chorus, um, there's a sort of call and response in the back where they're saying, oh, mm-hmm. and it feels like it's building towards something. It feels almost like it's going towards a climax. And I think that's part of why the youth were so excited is because mm-hmm. this felt very sexy and rebellious. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Great. Shannon, what do you think we should play from this album? I want I should know better. Okay. The film aren't they playing that on the train they yeah. are which they're, 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 girls, they're in like they're a like, luggage like, yeah and the, <laughs> the girls are all pawing so at the <laughs> love it the tempo even sounds like a train it was like yeah. a perfect yeah. fit it's got um, that harmonica in there it's great it. it's also double tracking in there um the beatles often didn't think they were very strong vocalists which i disagree um but in that john had his voice double tracked so there's a very slight delay between the two tracks it makes it kind of sound like there's two people singing it's both john (laughs) nice yeah yes let's talk about that film man yes so this is supposed to be sort of a day in the life look at the beatles (laughs) but it's very cheeky and comedic so everything's played up um it's black and white it looks really stylish Mm -hmm. um and I actually showed this to my boyfriend for the first time because everyone I date has to get like <laughs> baptized into the Beatles. <laughs> but <laughs> he made this observation that I thought was so cool. He was like, they're just trying to show everyone that it's okay to be young and hungry and full of hormones Aww. and just want to have fun. Yeah. And I totally agree. Um, this movie is super Beatles fun. I think the Beatles become better too. I mean, obviously they're so talented and their songs are great, but I find with a lot of artists or like actors and people I I like that once I know their actual personalities they become a lot I'm more endeared to them and I think that's the case here like yes. just seeing they're like best friends right or yeah. brothers or something very clearly close and, yeah um they weren't great actors which means <laughs> they're basically playing themselves yeah, yeah. so yeah I love it I love uh, it. it's this like scripted version of what their actual humor is yes they had a writer from Liverpool so he was mm-hmm. able to capture the way that they speak and I think I heard that like 10 percent of it was ad-libbed nice. um wow. yeah so from there I just have one more thing to add for this era is I brought with me, and you can't see this, but (laughs) Shannon and Courtney can, Uh, I brought with me one of the books that John Lennon published at this time. So he actually published a book 
that was full. It's called In His Own Right, W-R-I-T-E. Ha, ha, ha. Um, (laughs) And it's just full of his little doodles and poems and writings. And it's a really neat look at um, John had, he was kind of a, saw himself as an intellectual. And so this was a way for him to show, like, I I can do other stuff too, you know. Mm -hmm. But if you read through it, which I recommend you do, um, you'll see that it has his dark kind of creepy sensibility um and it's a lot of fun his writing style is really unusual he developed this writing style as a teenager where he does a lot of wordplay and um i can even read you just a sentence off the back of the book which is him this is about the awful as he put it (laughs) he said i was bored on the 9th of october 1940 when i believe the nasties were still booming us led by madoff heatlump who only had one anyway they didn't get me (laughs) <laughs> Aww. Um, I love that. I delight. John and Lennon and I have the same birthday. So oh, really? Yeah, it makes me happy. Nice. Anyway. Um, can I add a note here? And maybe I'm getting it in the wrong era, but I tried to, within the documentary. Oh, <laughs> well, like, yeah. And it's kind of mushy because yeah. so much was happening at this time. Um, so you have this 64, so you have like civil rights movement in America going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize. So we still have problems in America with segregation. And the Beatles actually, was it part of their contract or something? Yes. They said, they spoke out against segregation, said, mm-hmm. you know, we just play to people. We don't care what color they are. Or we just, we're happy to have fans and all that. And so, like, in their contract said, we will not play to segregated audiences. And it made me cry mm-hmm. <laughs> when it was on there because you want to believe that, like, your heroes are going to do the right thing when they have power, like that people would use it for good like that anyway. Yeah, they took a great stance there. And it's because of them that some stadiums in the American South desegregated Mm -hmm. and integrated for the first time. So I'm really happy about that. (laughs) Great. So we have about like half an hour left. We're going to try to get through the rest of these (laughs) albums. And they were so prolific. It's going to be hard. Okay, so we will blow through this. So if you want to learn more about their touring years, um, Eight Days a Week, the documentary by Ron Howard, is a great look at that. So we will just go past that. Just suffice to say, the Beatles toured everywhere, from Europe to Asia to America, just show after show after show, to tens and thousands of fans. Um, And the shows were usually about 30 minutes. Like, they would rush, and no one could hear anything because everyone was screaming. (laughs) Um, they met Bob Dylan, who introduced them to marijuana, which would be very influential <laughs> in their art. Um, they refused to play at segregated venues, like Shannon mentioned. And then finally, we get our next album, which is Beatles for Sale. Um, I think the title of this album shows that they were feeling a bit like a product. They were growing a little bit jaded and cynical. And they were so busy that they couldn't really summon the creativity that you see in A Hard Day's Night. Mm-hmm. Um, But there's still some good stuff on there. Yep. So we will start with eight days a week. Any objections? Mm -mm. Sweet. good one it's so good (laughs) all right 
any other which ones do we want to play from here we can do a short bit of kansas city all right deep cuts deep cuts cover um paul can he's not really known as like the wild like Mm -hmm. harsh beetle but Mm -hmm. he can really deliver a good vocal a good rock and roll vocal for sure all right one more from this album we have words of love and i'll follow the sun on our playlist i'll follow the sun i'll follow the sun all right one day you look to see i've gone for tomorrow may rain, so I'll follow the sun. Someday you'll know I was the one. But tomorrow may rain, so I'll follow the sun. Yep. Very pretty. Yep, yeah, for sure. I believe I read that Paul wrote that pretty young, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Great. Awesome. So from there... Um, well, I have to mention this. In early 1965, John and George had LSD for the first time. So <laughs> they're starting to become um, drug users, but I think in a way that was very deliberate and was meant to sort of expand their consciousness and get them thinking differently. Um, but they did get in trouble with the press about this. And Paul talked to the public about it and sort of made kind of a half apology, but also stood up for what they were doing. Um, <laughs> And the, some other controversies, they got MBEs from the Queen, which was usually reserved for, like, military leaders. Um, so that angered some conservatives. But, I mean, they were having a huge impact. That's hard to deny. Yeah. Um, so they received these MBEs. Didn't John later return his? He did. Um, later, John became very politically active, and he returned his MBE as a protest, um, which is interesting because people returned their MBEs in protest of them getting them in the first place. <laughs> so um, very interesting. So our next album is Help, which I think brings some of the fun back into mm-hmm. their music. Yep. Great. So we'll go ahead and play the uh, the title Help. track, which is Help. I'll just sing it. <laughs> Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know I need someone. Help. When, when I was younger, when so I much younger young. than today, I never, need I never needed anybody's help in any way. Now, but now these days are gone, and I'm not so self-assured. Now I find a change of mind and open up the doors. Um, John meant it when he wrote those lyrics. Yeah. It sounds so upbeat, but he really was feeling down when he wrote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and they Poor were buddy. touring so, like, their touring schedule is so crazy. I think, I'm sure that they just felt totally overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So, and if you've seen the video of people, just the fans, I oh, I couldn't it's do that. It's dangerous. Day in, day out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. What else do we want to play from here? Should we play can Yesterday? We play? Oh, oh yeah. sorry. We can do that, too. <laughs> sorry, Yesterday is just one of the, the big songs from this yeah. album. Yesterday 
All my troubles seem so far away Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday That was the most covered song of all time. Oh, really? It's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. It is beautiful. So many <laughs> artists. <laughs> yep. Great. And then one more from this album? What do we think? We don't have to play it. We can play Carla's inevitably like deeper cut. I just know that my <laughs> oh, favorite Beatles song of all my time is I've Just Seen a Face, and it is on this album. <laughs> I love I've Just Seen a Face, so. Well, we can go with that. You can always check out our playlist to see some yep. of the deeper cuts I've tried to select you for you. Before? That one's really good. I do. We do have that one. I like that one, too. All right. I've Just Seen a Face. I've just seen a face, I can't forget the time or place where we just met She's just the girl for me and I want all the world to see we've met mm-hmm. Yep, um, can I just say, my favorite cover of this, I have not been able to find anywhere because it was on a CD that came in a cereal box when I was a kid Oh my gosh I don't even remember who it was, it was no. like a country singer and I'm not usually into country but I loved the cover so much. Huh. I like got to find it for you. I know. You. I need this to This is a call yeah. to the listeners. <laughs> find us the cereal box CD. Yeah, the it was like version. it was like this like unknown singer and it was like six tracks and it came huh. in my cereal box. That's fantastic. And I didn't love anything we're, else on it. It was just the song. <laughs> anyway. Awesome. So along with the Help album, there's also a Help film. I Ooh. love this movie. It's in glorious Technicolor. <laughs> it's meant to be a spoof on James Bond. Um, it got mixed reviews, but I think it's a lot of fun. It's got a very strange plot. Yep. Um, there's an eastern cult it's not very politically correct no (laughs) no it is not but they're trying to sacrifice a woman but they realize she's not wearing the sacrificial ring and then but they she has sent the ring to Ringo Starr who is now wearing this ring and cannot get it off and so (laughs) these people are trying to capture him because they need the sacrificial ring to make their sacrifice right so they're just cavorting around in the Bahamas and England and all these locales do you think they gave the ring to Ringo because of his name that's what I was thinking well he wore a lot of rings that's where his nickname came from so (laughs) if you need to get rid of a ring that's <laughs> his an ideal choice there it is um, Paul McCartney has said that they spent a lot of this film stoned they <laughs> were sense. high the entire so, time and that's uh, really wacky which it kind of had a Monty Python vibe to me both it did and they loved that kind of comedy so that makes yeah. a lot of sense mm-hmm. and there are also some really great visuals for some of the songs so like you're gonna lose that girl they're in kind of this smoky studio that's lit with red and blue lights it's like really looks really nice but I will say it's weird seeing a miniature Paul in a Wrigley's gum <laughs> yeah. wrapper. It's very strange. So if you want to understand that, you'll just have to watch the film because there's no explaining it. And I love Ticket to Ride. They're like skiing yes. in the Alps. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a piano. Yes. know that they're all over yes. around. I love the Carpenters cover of that song, by the way. I love Excellent. it. Excellent. Anyway. So, all right, from here, we have more touring. I, I will mention probably their most famous concert was at Shea Stadium. Mm-hmm. Shea freaking Stadium. So this is a record crowd of 55,000 people. Oh. No one had ever, arena concerts were not a thing until the Beatles did it. Um, so people there could barely hear anything because the ballpark speakers were not meant to 
to distribute this kind of sound, but nobody cared. And I think it's really funny if you watch the footage of this concert, I think, so we have recordings of the concert, so we can actually hear the sound quite well, but Mm -hmm. the people in the stadium couldn't. And I think John assumed that no one could hear it because he's really yucking it up. Like between <laughs> between songs, when you're supposed to be talking to the audience, he is just miming and making fake syllables. <laughs> <laughs> and no one notices. Um, so I think that's really funny. Um, they also had a Beatles cartoon. They had a Saturday morning cartoon. That they didn't have anything to do with, but it just shows how popular they were. Um, and finally, in October of 65, the Beatles returned to the studio. They had no other commitments. They were done with their tour, and they had started to think about their music a bit differently. They're starting to think of it as art rather than a product or a collection of singles. Mm-hmm. So out of this came rubber soul great so first up i'm going to play rain which carla do you want to um say a word about what rain is yeah so rain you actually will not find on rubber soul but it was recorded at the same time and it's notable for a few reasons um one is that it was the first case of a promotional film that you could consider a music video um they filmed uh, them walking around a garden in a greenhouse um, and sent it to the ed sullivan show it's the first use of reverse sounds in a pop song. They've got reverse vocals and reverse guitar in this. Um, and they've pumped up the bass, so it has these big, nice, loud bass lines. So it's pretty cool. Cool. Here's a bit of that. And then um, speaking a little bit to that uh, musical interpretation and art that we're starting to get, I feel like Norwegian Wood captures that a bit. Um, Definitely. George Harrison was really into Indian music at the time. You can definitely tell. This is Norwegian Wood. little sneak Mm -hmm. peek into Norwegian wood yeah and then the last one that we wanted to play for you is driving my car which I feel like is a little bit more similar to the early stuff Mm -hmm. but here's that Oh, yeah, you got to get a little bit further in (laughs) to get the payoff on that. (laughs) Dang it. But yeah, so Rubber Soul is, uh, it really expanded what pop music could sound like and what it could do. The Beatles had complete creative control. 
they paid a lot more attention to production and developing their ideas, um, they started using new instruments like the sitar, which we heard Norwegian wood, fuzzy bass, and uh, like you mentioned, George is starting to get into the Indian music, so that influences felt, and we're starting to see the beginnings of some psychedelia. Um, the cover art plays this out too. It's got this great psychedelic album cover. Um, so that really lifted their profile. Now they're moving from being this boy band, um, Beatlemania era mm-hmm. into, uh, no, we're, we're serious artists and, and they're taking chances and innovating and bringing new things to the forefront. Um, from here, we have a list of controversies <laughs> that we will, you can read more on each one of these. They're all well worth the research, but Yay. we'll just very quickly, they had an album cover recalled in the U.S. Um, oh, known as right. the Butcher Cover. <laughs> so this was a ill, uh, what's the phrase? Oh, ill-conceived? Out. Yeah. Yes, a really <laughs> ill-conceived photo shoot where they're draped with baby doll parts and meat. For the record, it's kind of more interesting than the actual cover, but I don't know. It's, it's weird. You just look at it and you just kind of scrunch your face and go, what? Who thought that was a good idea? Right. So that got recalled because everyone thought that was gross. <laughs> and John made his infamous comments about being bigger than Jesus, um, which really only caused controversy in America in the Bible Belt. Um, and he he should have phrased things better. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Basically, he was talking to a reporter. He got a little too um, informal with this reporter and started talking about his ideas on faith and life. And he said that the way things are going, religious influence is on the way out and Christianity is shrinking. And in a way, the Beatles are more popular than Jesus now. So he wasn't actually making a point about the Beatles. He's making more a point about society, but that is not the way it was interpreted. Um, especially because he did he referred to himself and so people saw that as being very arrogant and and aggrandizing and and so that was a huge uh controversy that led to record burnings and threats at their shows and it's just a huge uh issue that he sort of apologized for he basically said well if i had said anything else like television i probably wouldn't be in trouble It's not exactly an apology, but okay. (laughs) Um, More controversies. They played at the Budokan in Japan, which was traditionally reserved for Japanese acts like sumo wrestling. So seeing a foreign band there was kind of disrespectful. Um, They accidentally snubbed the first lady in the Philippines, which led to riots. Now that's a story. They were like detained on a boat for a while. They had no idea. Yeah, they were basically (laughs) kidnapped by the Philippine government. Um, So all of this, the record burning, the threats, the fact that no one could even hear them at their concerts, all of these things got them so fed up that they decided to end touring altogether. So their final concert was in San Francisco's Candlestick Park in August of 1966. So this was, this ends four years of nonstop touring. They played over 1,400 shows, which is incredible. Um, So I think they deserved a break. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is nowadays, it seems like don't release albums quite as frequently as they did. So it was just They're averaging like two a year. Yeah. Yeah, constant touring. So no one can blame them for being tired, I think. And this led to their studio era. 
So now we're at Revolver, which yep. happens to be my favorite Beatles album. All right, which ones are we playing from this? Let's do, um, I think I'd like to do something uh, where I show you the difference between a studio version of a song and what their final version was. Great. So let's do the Anthology 2 version of Got to Get You Into My Life. Okay. I was alone, I took a ride, I didn't know what I would find then Another road where maybe I could see another kind of mind then Ooh, did I suddenly see you? So that's the studio version, mm -hmm. and then should we play the album version? Yes. I was alone, I took a ride, I didn't know what I would find there. Another road where maybe I could see another kind of mind there. Ooh, and I suddenly see you. Did I tell you I need you every single day of my life? I love that. It just shows how much time and care they were taking in, in exploring their ideas and using different instruments. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that this song is one of your favorites, Shannon. Yeah. Got to get you into my life. And I happen to prefer the other version that's so minimalist i kind of like it too it's, it's just <laughs> i haven't heard that version of it before it's so interesting the yeah. way that those things change the tone and feel of a song and no matter what they did it turned out great <laughs> so they released how does that work they released so, the studio one separately or didn't release it until yes. later so this came from anthology two so there's a series of cds um anthology one two and three that contain a wealth of outtakes and different okay. versions. And so if you're if you're feeling pretty confident about the main Beatles catalog, you've got that down, check out the anthology series because yeah. you'll get some new stuff in there. It's interesting because cool. their their producer, George Martin, mm -hmm. um, he like uh, Carla mentioned, so his brand was doing like comedy acts and stuff. And so when he got the Beatles into the recording studio for the first time, he was like, oh, these guys are funny. So he started just recording their entire mm -hmm. sessions. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of like outtakes and Yay. jokes and like all kinds of That's stuff. They're very funny too. with each other. <laughs> yep, for sure. Cool. Um, do we want to leave it there with Revolver? Is there one more we want to play? Sure. Well, is this where Tomorrow Never Knows is from? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's get that in okay. there. <laughs> What a departure from the songs we hear on like A Hard Day's Night or Please Please Me. They are truly Whoa. going through a journey here. Um, so like <laughs> things are more psychedelic. They're more Indian inspired. It's less about 
poppy love songs and more about spirituality and death even mm-hmm. um so oh i love revolver um and i'll say that that song came up a friend of mine on facebook was re-watching mad men and there's a really key scene where yes. uh, don draper's wife shows him like gives him uh the album and says listen to this track and it's this song um and she said that is not the way to introduce someone to the beatles <laughs> and i thought oh but it's such a good song um so no it's not like it is when you think of their earlier work like it's right. not very representative of that but oh it's yeah. so good. The yep. good news is there's no wrong way to introduce someone to the Beatles. No, sure. <laughs> the fact is you've introduced them. <laughs> and you were saying before too, Carla, that like Don Draper would have known the Beatles oh, were yeah. unavoidable. Like, Absolutely. During that time, A Manhattan so. ad man, he, he knew who they were. Yeah. But the fact that they were doing something like this was very different. Yep. Um, yeah, so we'll move from there. I will say Revolver tends to, at the time, it was not as critically acclaimed as the next album was mm-hmm. um but in retrospect a lot of music historians rate revolver on par or even higher than their next album which is of course sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band so finally capital stopped screwing up the album releases from here on out because up to this point you've got a uk version and a u.s version and they never match up but starting from sergeant pepper there's no way they could split this up because sergeant pepper was such a complete piece in itself Mm -hmm. that it had to be presented just the way it was um so recording sergeant pepper took over 700 hours uh yep it included strawberry fields and penny lane although those weren't released until later and it was one of the first albums i actually brought my 1967 Mm -hmm. copy here today so it's the first album to have all of the lyrics printed on it um well one of the first i'm not sure if it's actually the first but this was a new idea at the time and it was one of the first concept albums this idea of this fake band named sergeant pepper and they're like in a circus or whatever they're doing um and it contained the record company pushed back because the beatles wanted the record to come with a whole little bag of goodies like pencils and badges and little fun things but the record company said uh no we're not paying for that (laughs) so even the power of the beatles had limits but they did have this really cool page of inserts where you could cut out a badge and a mustache and, and you can dress up as a member of the <laughs> Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club band. Um, That's awesome. So the cover is super famous. I'm sure all of you have seen it. It's got the Beatles in the front and they've got these cardboard cutouts of all these famous personalities behind them. Um, this cover was created by Peter Blake and Jan Hayworth, who are two artists at the time. And I actually got to correspond with Jan Hayworth back in college when I was unsurprisingly writing my thesis about the Beatles. <laughs> um, and she gave me some really cool background info that maybe listeners have never heard because she told it straight to me. But um, apparently they gave the Beatles a list and said, please tell us all of the famous people you would want to include here. Um, and John's ideas got nixed pretty often because he was writing stuff like Hitler and Jesus and just... <laughs> being John, um, and Gandhi is on the cover, but he was actually removed for the Indian version so that it wouldn't cause trouble overseas. Um, And Paul made an allusion to Jan as she was setting up the shoot to the Paul is dead rumor, which means they were not only aware of that rumor, (laughs) but they were kind of like making fun of it. Um, So if you want to know more about Paul is dead, my goodness, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> so, yeah, in a nutshell, 
Paul McCartney had an accident in the mid 60s, 66, um, and people decided maybe he died and he was replaced by an exact, <laughs> equally talented replica. So, eh, it's a little bit out there. But Something anyway. to rival, rival the bigger Luke Star Wars theory. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, let's dive into Sergeant Pepper. All right, what do you want to play? Uh, let's do Within You, Without You, okay. just continuing George's Indian influence. true yeah what else we want to play i feel like we need to play one of the more classic all right should we do maybe with a little help from my friends or lucy 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 all right (laughs) lucy in the sky with diamonds picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies somebody calls you you answer quite slowly a girl with kaleidoscope eyes (laughs) great effects on their voices really interesting stuff i like that one because it's all very like psychedelic in the beginning and then it gets into this really driving chorus lucy in the sky with Mm -hmm. diamonds yeah they were really adept at combining all of these experimental concepts into something that was palatable yep all right awesome should we we do one more with a little help from my friends maybe yeah let's give ringo some love (laughs) classic here we go Awesome. On a note here, since we're not going to play it, I put on my Facebook, what is everyone's favorite Beatles song? Mm-hmm. Three people said, she's leaving home, which is mm-hmm. one I had never even heard. Yeah. <laughs> and it's now my favorite on that album. It is it's beautiful. So, so listen to it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Just, just listen to the whole thing. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So from here, the Beatles are on top of the world. They are unparalleled um, in pop culture. They performed All You Need Is Love on the first live global television broadcast around the world. Um, and it seemed like nothing could take them down. But Speaking of, should so All You Need Is Love is on Magical Mystery Tour. 
Mm-hmm. Should we play that real quick or should we? We will get to Magical Mystery right. Tour right quick. I will mention there was um, an unfortunate tragedy that happened around this time, and that is that Brian Epstein, their manager, passed away, likely due to suicide. Um, there are a couple things that could have contributed to this. One is that he was gay and homosexuality at the time was illegal in England and actually was in the news a lot because Parliament was debating a law to decriminalize homosexual acts, which is just mind-boggling to think that even as recent as the late 60s, people couldn't be themselves in plain sight and they could be taken to jail. And Brian Epstein had a high, high profile, so I can only imagine how isolating and difficult it was. Um, Also, his role as a manager was changing because the Beatles had stopped touring, and so they needed him less. Um, And no one can really know what was going on in his head, but it really rocked the Beatles, and it left a void that I think they never really managed to fill. And I think that was the beginning of the end, is they lost this critical component of their entourage. So that's very sad. Um, after this, we lead into their next album, which you alluded to, which was Magical Mystery Tour. Um, so I will say about Magical Mystery Tour, this is my opinion. Feel free to disagree because it was critically acclaimed at the time. Um, this album was actually Grammy nominated, so it definitely succeeded. But in my mind, I think it lacks a lot of the whimsy of Sgt. Pepper and heads into more like bad trip territory (laughs) like it's a little creepy if you look at the album cover with these animal masks oh yeah yeah so that's just my opinion but there's (laughs) there's still some great stuff on this album Mm -hmm. great so should we start with all you need is love since we referenced it yeah all right how the Beatles were at the forefront of this movement um, in the late 60s of love and flowers and (laughs) everybody get along and um, they were a zeitgeist for sure. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, Let's go ahead and do our other two songs for this and then I think you know this is 
the Beatles are so huge. I think that this might merit two episodes. <laughs> All right. Because uh, we still have like one, two, <laughs> yep. three, four more albums after this. And man, that white album, that is dense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think let's go ahead and do two more and then we'll wrap up this episode. But so on Magical Mystery Tour, what are the other two that you would recommend playing? Well, both Shannon and I recommended a song. That was the first yeah, time that yeah. happened. So let's go with <laughs> Baby, You're a Rich Man. All right. I love yes please because it plays um at the end of the social network um which is a movie i really really love um oh that makes sense it too. makes total sense when you think about mark zuckerberg's <laughs> yeah. life and work so i love that it's really i love some of these beatles songs even more when they're added into like other pop culture and it fits so well yeah so. and it happens a lot too yeah. you don't realize until you get into it Oh, that's Beatles. Oh, yeah. that's Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> I think the last one we've got to do, I Am the Walrus. I Am the Walrus. All right. wanted to get that i am the walrus (laughs) there's a lot of weird um sound samples in that song i believe Mm -hmm. it was banned from the bbc because (laughs) it makes some references to knickers Uh, (laughs) 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 and i think that really captures like the creepy feeling for me or this is like i feel like they had a bad trip and then maybe (laughs) wrote parts of that but It's super interesting to listen to. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll pause there. We'll pause right before the film that accompanied this album. So we'll leave you with the Magical Mystery Tour, innovative, success, Grammy-nominated. And uh, as we'll find out next week, we can't really say the same for the film. Yep. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Carla. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to the rest of this because I grew up mostly on early Beatles. So Mm -hmm. I later Beatles has been an evolution for me to get to the point where I appreciate them. So I'm excited to hear like more about it and learn more about them. Um, But yeah, cool. So we'll go ahead and wrap this up. And uh, so join us next week where we are going to be uh, sitting down with Mindy and talking Wes Anderson. So see you then. Bye. Bye. This will play after Wes Anderson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs>